Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Theory Podcast. Grant, the long-awaited UCF Knights um, preview. I loop the music every time. I hate StreamYard. We're getting a new service. It loops the music every time. It ruins the podcast. We've never had an intro that's good. Grant, I feel like last time we podcast, I had some stuff here about uh, Purple Theory being a Big 12 podcast full of numbers and whimsy and uh, presented in part by Dave Campbell's Republic of Football, mm-hmm. uh, of which we are a part. Um, and uh, and uh, we this summer are just kind of moseying through uh, the Big 12 at, at, at what I say is a comfortably leisurely pace. Um, and then tonight we'll be here for the UCF uh, Knights, Golden Knights, if you want to. Don't have to, uh, you, you know, either either way. But uh, we'll go with the UCF Knights. So, um, Grant, glad we're back on the mic, man. It's been almost a month. We had to uh, we had to gin up all of the UCF Twitter people um, and and make them wait, make sure they could call their neighbors, let them know to tune in that this podcast was coming. So we wanted everyone to get fair warning before we we previewed the night. I had um, to text all my middle school friends from Orlando and say, "Hey, log in. I'm doing this thing on YouTube," and they all replied, "Who is this?" <laughs> oh, right, the kid with the beard. That's right, I forgot. <laughs> I did have a beard in middle school, exactly the same. Um, I've looked like this since about third grade. It was great. And then uh, I thought I was going to be like an NBA star left tackle. And then Grant walked into eighth grade basketball tryouts. And I was like, buddy, something happened to the rest of you. And uh, I'm no longer the tallest kid in the class anymore. I'm not Nikola Vucevic. This isn't right. What the hell? (laughs) You know, dreams, dreams die. But um, we're here. We're back. We've previewed Six team. We're have this halfway through the conference, right? I need to look at my one, two, three, four, five, six. This is halfway through the conference. Hot damn, we've got to go a little faster because week zero is imminent and upon us. But uh, but yeah, feeling good about this preview. I think there's some fun nuggets here, and uh, I think this I think this will be a tight a tight forty five, maybe a tight fifty yeah. show. We'll, we'll we'll get in, we'll get out, we'll get some UCF preview because again, all we're doing in these previews is doing a little bit of homework before the season. What do we expect out of these teams? What are some names to know? What are some general, you know, first principles of the offensive defense? Some, some, some how do we do our homework to be better consumers of football content? And so, uh, I think we can do that in a, in a timely manner this uh, this evening. I agree. And Parker, do you know what helps me be a better consumer? Shopping at HomeFieldApparel.com. Stimulus checks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, shopping, shopping at HomeFieldApparel.com. Uh, Home Field Apparel, the good brand. Tell us about it. it is a, yeah, it's a premium college, uh, collegiate apparel brand based in Indianapolis. Um, they got over 150 colleges to choose from, incredibly soft t-shirts. Um, it is the blazing heat of summer right now. Uh, those t-shirts are lightweight. They're super comfortable. I wear them when I walk my dog. Parker, I'm sure you wear yours whenever you lift 600 pounds over your head or whatever the hell it is you do. Throw barrels against the wall, something like that. Um, very comfortable. And when I the wind big, is, I take those ropes and I go... <laughs> I do that a lot too. Yeah. yeah. But you, that's but probably you really actually, good audio only, audio only bit. <laughs> <laughs> you make the sound with your mouth when you do it too. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, unique designs, a bunch of historic looks. Uh, absolutely go check out homefieldapparel.com. We've got a bunch. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use promo code DCTF. DCTF for 15% off for first time customers, 10% off for returning referrals using the respective codes. As always, we thank Homefield Apparel for their continued support of the Purple Theory Podcast. Parker, let's talk UCF, man. I, I keep yeah. forgetting. You want to talk first principles? I keep forgetting Gus Malzahn as UCF's head coach, and that's not a new thing. 
Yeah. I mean, this is season three for him and Grant, darn it. If he just doesn't look so happy, like you think about all of that, like ball of stress at Auburn and the drama and everything they've had to go with, like trying to oust and successfully ousting Brian Harrison and all this stuff with what's his name, Kevin, uh, which uh, one's the magazine guy? Steel. Phil Steele is a magazine guy. Kevin right. Steele is the um, uh, conspiratorial defensive coordinator. I think is yes. uh, allegedly. Um, and 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 yeah, I think I think Gus just looks really happy. I think Gus, you know, today I was watching Grant just some clips of the offense and uh, him breaking down some plays. And one, he's just the most football coach of all football coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's got the accent. He's like, hey, you know what? We're gonna get this guy here. We're gonna do this thing, and just great. But I think he just wants to be drama free. And, and, and so far, despite what UCF Twitter has tried to do, <laughs> UCF has been a drama free place where he can accumulate talent and uh, enact his vision on the field and by gum, um, enjoy, enjoy playing football. So um, they've done pretty well, Grant nine and four, nine and five last year, made yeah. it to the ACC, uh, AAC okay. championship game uh, in both of those years, if I'm correct, now I'm doubting myself that they haven't in the 2021. Uh, but I'm uh, checking. They um, just uh, just 2022. Just 2022. 2021. They did not make it. That's because uh, Cincinnati was very good, and maybe uh-huh. Memphis was very good as well. Right. Nope, they're six and six. I don't know anything about football. I don't know anyone would listen to me talk about football. But last year they went coastal? to Tulane. No, that was the year before. Not in the, no, matter. I yeah, I don't know. Um. Where's the producer? Producer, Google this. Uh, dang it, he's not on. Stat boy, um, pull that up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but last year they were uh, nine and five. They went to Tulane and and lost kind of a uh, or excuse me. Um, we're really shrewding this. Uh, they went to Tulane and they won number sixteen Tulane on the road. A very close game, a very contentious game, kind of an all heart grit grind performance from John Reese Plumley there. And then uh, they played Tulane again in the American Conference Championship, came up a little short. Mikey Keene was the quarterback. I think we'll have some comments later about the drop-off from John Reese Palmy to Mike Le- Mikey Keene. Mm-hmm. Um, may he rest in whatever, rest in portal, I think is what we should say now, RIP, rest in portal. But um, UCF, uh, uh, overall, Grant, without uh, you know monologuing or uh, too, too, too long here, UCF is a place where you can accumulate talent and put together a competitive team year to year. In the same way that someone like TCU or SMU or Baylor can kind of skim off the second tier of the barrel in yep. uh, in terms of talent, UCF can absolutely do that um, with uh, with Florida, with the state of Florida, and I think they've established themselves as kind of a dominant power and and decisively above the FAUs and the USFs of of that region, and, and are well positioned to uh, go forward into their first season in the Big Twelve. Yeah, I think you said it right. They're a team that is in a talent-rich area where they are competent enough and have enough money behind them that once a cycle, at the top of their cycle, they can compete for a conference championship for outside running the playoff spot. You mentioned TCU is a great example in Texas. In Ohio, you have uh, Cincinnati. Coastal, when they were great, obviously a talent-rich area in the Carolinas. So schools like that where you can basically shake a tree and um, like four four stars will fall out. You can do pretty daggum well for yourself if you just keep your head on a on a level playing field and don't freak out. Um, and by don't freak out, I mean you know don't panic when Scott Frost leaves um, for Nebraska. Which they, to their credit, it took them a while, but they fixed it and they hired Justin Mazzon. So Yeah, and it's it's not like Josh Heupel was doing poorly. I think there's some stuff about. Um, 
the, you know, uh, there's always sour grapes when a coach leaves, yeah. um, especially when it's a, you know, a P5 to or a G5 to a P5, because that's contentious, especially when it's what I will call an upper G5 to a P5. Now that now that UCF is part of the power structure, I'm OK with designating them as having been an upper G5. But mm-hmm. uh, high pool, 12 and one with with Scott Frost, 13 and 0 team and then 10 and three and then six and four in the COVID year. Six and four, not exactly the UCF standard, wasn't as great. But I think there's a narrative that he couldn't recruit. And um I really think that says more about the coordination of resources at UCF mm-hmm. into the NIL era, given that Hypel with a decently oiled machine at Tennessee is bringing in number one recruited quarter, number one rated quarterbacks and, yeah. and, um, and Joe Melton, the greatest quarterback to ever play the game of college football. I mean, uh, so, so I think that it's not so much that Hypel couldn't recruit. It's that UCF didn't necessarily have their stuff together and Hypel wasn't the guy to get it together. I believe Gus Malzahn is the CEOist of CEO coaches here and is able to coordinate um, what is a, a just a, a, a huge living alumni base, uh, just a, yeah. a massive, gigantic school, potentially a lot of resources there and getting guys on a campus that, are, that you know, it does have a commuter feel to it a little bit, but but does have a nice campus and and, ha- and have some ability to uh, to attract some players there. He is, you know, Gus Malzahn saying, hey, look, I'm playing golf 12 months a year. I'm enjoying it down here. You don't want to be at the grind at Alabama. Come down, come hang out with me. Let's win some football games. And I think that's a pretty good pitch. And I think that he's able to coordinate these resources really well. And this is an exciting team for 2022. I think Grant, or 2023 rather, um, Grant, I think this is the team that I'm most excited about in the Big 12. Yeah. Not who I'm highest on, but I'm most interested in this. I think Mikey, I think our buddy uh, Woodbergs was talking about like, he replied earlier and was saying yeah. like fascinated about their season. I totally agree. I'm, I'm fascinated by what UCF is going to do, how big of a jump it's actually going to be to the be the big 12. Yeah. Two things. One, correcting ourselves from five minutes earlier, uh, since you beat Houston in 2021. Um, and so both new big 12 members are coming to the <laughs> I game. knew since he won, I forgot it was the, uh, yeah, yeah that's great. Houston, yeah. And second off, um, I'm going to Bogart kind of something you put into our preview here, but Gus also seems yeah. very excited about, this season as well. You you highlighted some quotes from Big 12 Media Days. Um, so reading them here, as far as our roster, we've returned six on both sides of the football. We have our kicker and our punter back, and both those guys were phenomenal. Brought in 18 transfers, and most of those guys weren't just starters, but were impact players. So that quality depth that you really need when you go take the next step to another conference, and Parker and I are going to talk about that a lot throughout this preview. Really feel good about that, specifically on the O-line and the D-line, but you can't have enough quality depth as far as that's concerned. As far as our staff, most of the guys on our staff have been with me for a long time. Most of our staff has been with me when we won championships and played at a high level in another conference in the Power Five. So Gus is feeling a little he's, – he's, he's feeling chippy going into the season. He, he is, and, 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 and he's optimistic, and um... – it was it was a contrast, not to put like the old, you know, the elder statesman coach kind of in in contrast. And certainly, we've learned a lot about Les Miles uh, sure. since he made his debut at the Big Twelve Media Days. But it, it was kind of contrast to Miles. Kind of showed up, was wearing the rings, had Smacker there with him, was was whatever and, and all that. And and Gus, I legitimately, again, I think Gus is kind of second career here. Is like. He just wants to be a ball coach. He doesn't want to be a celebrity. He doesn't have to deal with that shit. And uh, and, I, and I think it's 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 almost admirable. It's really nice and refreshing. You see, that he is super high on this team here. Grant, the theory that I'm trying to figure out is, you know, you're familiar with the blue chip ratio. ratio yes, right? I am. Yeah. Broad broad strokes, interesting way to measure talent. Whatever for the the new Big Twelve, which is you know effectively like the American Athletic Conference on steroids, I think is 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 kind of that might be too conservative about it, but generally it's that way. Um, we we need like a like a cornflower 
ratio or like a cyan ratio or like a turquoise ratio. We need something that's like just a little bit lighter blue because that's 100% what's happening here. This roster is never going to be 50% uh, four and five stars. That's just not going to happen at, at, at a team like that, I, I don't believe. But it's like, dude, I can get my 2D pretty full of some really good players. Um, and, and it does look like with the transfers, they are doing – uh, doing just that, attracting talent. And, and it seems like Gus feels like they're gelling pretty, pretty well. Yeah, and they've done a good job um, attracting that talent, and they've improved significantly over the last three years. You look, in 2021, they were 55th in recruiting. In 2022, they were 46th. Uh, in 2023, they're 35th. And for next year, they're 20, uh, excuse me, they're ninth, the 19th best class in 2024. Of course, that'll change good. as more recruits sign, but that's genuine steps up all the way through. Hey, man, um, you know, moving every day, Grant, every decision you make, you're either moving closer to God or further away from God. And uh, Gus, Gus Malzahn is moving, moving UCF towards the Lord every day with, uh, <laughs> with those recruiting numbers. So you love to see it. Um, let me do uh, let me do some first principles and talk about I, I did have recruiting returning production pulled up. I'm, I, I have to scroll it on my phone. I'm sorry. ESPN keeps logging me out of my desktop. Is that a thing? Can I? Uh, yeah, it is. And, and, and while, while you're doing that, I'm going to complain about something. Please. Um, UCF is one of the few Big 12 schools, Bigler is like this, where you cannot sort by position, name, anything on their roster. It's a static grid. Oh, it's so annoying. It's so oh, annoying. I hate it. Especially yeah. previews. God, yep. I hate it. Um, yeah, there, there's very clearly a split in like who has a good team website and who has a bad team website, and and I, I know where everyone falls. Yeah. Um, UCF, 55. First in returning production overall, uh, 66% returning, 62.8% on offense. That's 78th, 69% nice. uh, on defense, which is 43rd. And, and of course, obviously with a offensive minded guy like Gus Malzahn, you'd rather return more defense because you're going to you know feel more confident about your ability to build up the offensive side of the ball there. But, uh, but that's not bad. That's kind of, that's kind of a uh, lower upper middle class, if you will, to, to, to totally botch a, a Bob Seger reference <laughs> there. We'll call it the LUMC of returning production. Um, that, of course, is going to be magnified because they are jumping into the Big 12 here. Um, Grant, they did have some work to do on defense last year. They, they, they were 43rd in EPA per play margin, 41st in offense, 76th uh, on defense. So definitely some issues there. 45th in net points per drive. Uh, that's 39th offense, 66th offense. Grant, they were allowing... 66 defense, excuse me. They were allowing 2.25 points per drive. Um, and in terms of echo ratio, very, very pedestrian, 51.5%. That's 52nd in the nation there. So a UCF team that that, that could run the ball pretty well uh, and, and move the ball in, 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 uh, efficiently, but but didn't separate on offense and the defense wasn't, wasn't excellent, um, yeah. I, I don't think. And so there's room to grow there. Do you have a preference on which side of the ball you would like to start with? You know what? Just for consistency's sake, we can go ahead and start with the offense. Okay. We'll keep it moving. That's great. I um, I like the offense. I was hoping you would say offense. Grant, um, I am so I, – I love this. I love when numbers confirm your priors. I love when you have a hunch okay. and you go look at it and it works out. Okay. Gus Malzahn said at Big 12 Media Days, I brought in Darren, Darren Henshaw, who we'll talk about. Um, to really open up our offense, push the ball vertically down the field. We were a top 20 offense overall in college football, but our yards per completion were really high, like 88th in the country, something like that. So one, we'll point out a couple things. Plumley ranked, Plumley ranked 41st in yards per attempt, just behind Clayton Toon with 8.1. Mm-hmm. Toon had 8.2. 
uh, it wasn't the case when the quarterback was out. So some of their issues with explosiveness were because Plumlee wasn't healthy the entire season. Um, but this is really nice. It's a nice little puzzle piece that fits together here. UCF was 44th in passing success rate last year, 70th in EPA per pass. They brought in Darren Henshaw from UAB. Remember the law mm-hmm. firm of Hopkins and McBride are explosive mm-hmm. as hell. 10th in EPA per play. They were 55th in passing success rate. So basically the same as UCF 28th in EPA per play. Gus was like, let's go get the, let's go get the explosive guy. I love that. Yeah. I just love that those numbers worked out and, and, and it totally backed up what he was saying of like, Hey, we are efficient. We've got to figure out how to be more expensive. That also speaks to Gus Malzahn's mind as an offensive guy. I love that attitude. I think that like, it's like which way modern man and uh, in college football and on one side it's, um, Hey, I'm going to do things the way I've always done. And we're just going to do it harder. And we're going to make sure that we get it right. Or we're going to say, Hey, what is working elsewhere? How can we bring those guys in? How can we incorporate and, and build on that? So um, I, I love, I love that. Um, and, and just kind of how this fit together. Oh no. God did not show his favor on this podcast because I think Grant just went blank. Let's see if I can remove him from the stream, bring him back in, bring him back up. Um, uh, while Grant's doing that, I'll read off some first principles. Cause I think again, just technology is getting us and that's okay. Uh, 41st in offensive EPA per play UCF was 24th in offensive success rate, 43.1% success rate, 44th in passing 16th in rushing. A lot of that of course is going to be John Reese Plumlee's legs as a quarterback. Um, if you look at their, um, if you look at their breakdown specifically, they are 70th in EPA per pass, 15th in EPA per rush. Again, John Reese Plumley driving a lot of that. 26th in echo rate. Uh, and if we look at split between early and late downs EPA, 41st in early downs EPA, 24th on third and fourth down success on offense there. So again, well-rounded, but it very, it very much clears the numbers back up. There's a top gear of this offense that Gus Malzahn feels like they can reach that they were not reaching last year. Yeah, and I think Palmy is going to be able to do a lot of that with his diversity. The point I was going to make, sorry, is that Henshaw is really good at um, adapting. He was the OC when Lynn Bowden Jr. was doing all that crazy shit at Kentucky, like playing quarterback after being a wide receiver. So if anyone can unlock weird things in an offense, it is Henshaw. Um, and just kind of making like the literal best out of any piece that he has. Yeah, I think that... Um... I think reviews are mixed. So I was texting with our buddy Clark Brooks, AKA SEC stat cat. And uh, um, yeah, he, he was talking about like, you know, and he's a Kentucky guy. So he's familiar with Henshaw at at the SEC level and was just saying like, you know, they really, they really didn't, they they only had one passing concept that had a success rate better than 50%. And so it felt like, it felt like Henshaw could never just find that kind of boom, boom play that, um, is maybe what Gus Malzahn is looking for, um, uh, you know, and, and looking at how they went over and uh, excuse me, went overall and, and kind of tried to make that passing success rate work. Uh, it, it, there, there's, there's varying returns to what was actually effective there, but it's, un- it's inarguable that at UAB, they were super explosive and that, I mean, the argument against him is, it's way easier to make an explosive offense at UAB. And he was gifted Hopkins and McBride in his one year. And a lot of people could do well there. Okay, fine. I'll, I will amend my statement to say he is willing to do weird shit. And yeah, no, I to- I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm just excited for that. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. I'm I think 
again, I think there are worse ways to go about trying to solve an explosiveness problem than grabbing a guy who had one of the most explosive offenses in the nation last year, which is what they did. Um, looking at our timing, I'm going to burn through some first yeah, principles and then let's talk. Uh, so central tenets of the offense, the Gus Malzahn offense is basically offense as you know it um, in, in the modern world. Uh, it's been called the dink and chunk. Um, it's a hurry up, no huddle. They're going to run a ton of power. They're going to run a lot of check with me. There's going to be a lot of RPO option, option, option. They're 86 and rush rate over expected, but that does not account for the fact that a lot of those are RPOs and they're just gives. He's going to take what the offense gives you. Uh, and Will Hall had a good quote about, about kind of that offense. I think balance is being able to, uh, a lot of, he said, a lot of coaches think balance is running and passing equally. And Will Hall kind of a, in that tree said, I think balance is being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And I think that's Gus exactly. He's going to game plan. The game plan is going to look different week to week. Um, there's going to be some staple plays, but how they approach and who they attack is going to look differently. I thought one thing that was really great is, is a comparison. Uh, this heat map, uh, you know, there's a, this, this heat map of Heupel's offense and Gus's offense uh, mm -hmm. uh, at Auburn the same year. And Hypel is all, you know, sideline, exactly like kind of what we saw TC last year, sideline, 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 and yeah. Gus is all over the field. And so there's a yeah. lot more matchup, a lot more find where it, find the pressure points and a lot less commitment to, you know, get a guy one-on-one -on -one and chuck it up. So the key questions are going to be, can they actually get vertical with Hinchall? Um, can they maximize the offense while keeping John Reese Plumley healthy? And uh, can they go fast, but can they be patient? That's one thing that we'll talk about that I think segues really nicely here into the quarterback's grant. Um, John Reese Pumley is back. He's allegedly healthy. He's fast, super fast, yeah. great runner, second nationally behind Jaden Daniels in rushing yards for a non-running back, 904 yards, and his 7.4 yards per attempt is actually higher than Jaden Daniels. Um, the issue is that the passing side is less great. 78.4 passing grade, that's 38th in the FBS, 19 to 17 big-time throw to turnover-worthy play ratio. Yeesh. Uh, yeah, it's not great. Uh, 8.3 8 average depth of target ranked 126th in the FBS among um, qualified quarterbacks. And his adjusted completion percentage, 75.6, ranks 32, which is between Tyler Van Dyke and Stetson Bennett. So again, the passing side, I'd say, is underdeveloped. And the big issue here is that Plumlee is so fast and such a good runner that if he gets pressured, if he moves at all, he's going to bail out of the pocket. And these secondary and tertiary concepts are not developing as well. He's a really good offense. He's a really good quarterback and can clearly be involved in the pre-snap stuff that's required of a Gus Malls on offense. But what we haven't seen from him, what's still lacking uh, and where he needs to take the next step is, can I make that second read? Can I stay in the pocket and know that I'll be able to bail? Can I make that second read? Yeah. And we'll talk about a potential safety blanket for him a little bit later. Um, it, it, it worries me that the ADOT is so low and the adjusted completion percentage is not like as an effect top 15 in the country. Yeah. If you're throwing that short, you better complete your damn passes. Um, yep. but overall rating Parker, I'm, I'm very, very excited about Plumlee. I think this, uh, offense is, is going to kind of take a step forward and with a full season of health under his belt, I, I have this, I have him as a 12, man. Yeah, I think so. I need to I need to make sure that I don't say something off. Okay, so I have them as an eleven. Um, and my my statement about that was just I think there's a I tweeted this in the in the last month. I think it's a pretty clear path for John Reese Plumley to be a top third QB in the Big Twelve this fall. That's top four or five. Easy. 
Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that it's going to happen, but I think the upside is absolutely there. His athleticism, extending plays, I think it's just really, really interesting. And the weapons that they have around him, we'll see how they can kind of attract gravity. But I think this is fine. He gets hurt. Mikey Keene, not there, not the guy. Uh, yeah. it, it gets a little it gets a little tenuous. It's not quite as bad, I think, because Gus and, and just having multiple years of a guy, it's not quite as bad if... Um, as like Dylan Gabriel in Oklahoma last year, but it's still a pretty big red flag of like, okay, if he gets hurt, uh, it, it might be a little bit dicey. I think that's what pushed me back from 12 to an 11. It's just yeah. that potential risk. He runs so much. If he can stay healthy, love it. If he can't, I'm worried about the depth there. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think there's a lot of upside then put it that 11 with upside. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, talk uh, to me about the running backs. Yeah. So you lose Isaiah Bowser. Who was who had the most carries last year? 175 carries, but Parker he only had 3.8 yards per attempt, which is running into a. That's how I expect Bowser to play running back, actually. Yeah, um, three 3.8 yards in a cloud of dust. Uh, but they return R.J. Harvey, uh, who's much more explosive. Uh, actually, outgained Bowser on 70 fewer carries. He had 6.9 yards per attempt, um, which is second on the team. A nice and B second on the team behind uh, behind Plumley. Um, this is a room full of of, of little fellas. Um, Harvey's 5'8", and Johnny Richardson, uh, who had the third most attempts last year, is 5'7". Um, but he averaged 6.7 yards per attempt on those 48 carries. So, yeah. And I don't – I mean, I don't hate it because if you look at their target distribution last year, like a bunch of – I think 42 targets to uh, to receivers – or excuse me, yeah. every target's backs. to receiver uh, – to, <laughs> to running backs – and, uh, and, and I think that's kind of spicy there is like those guys can get involved in the passing game. Uh, we, again, we saw uh, Dwayne McBride at UAB last year, but just be mm-hmm. so explosive both out of the backfield and on the ground. And I think the, the versatility there is really interesting Yeah, for some of those smaller guys in the passing game. Um, 45 targets, and uh, but only one touchdown. So mm, well, for, for running backs great. last year. But I think was, people are high on RJ uh, RJ Harvey and uh, and the and the run game, and I think they they expect it to kind of keep going uh, this year and, and and be a really really solid kind of one two two man game with. Uh, uh, I keep want to say Dylan Gabriel because it's perpetually nineteen. But Kenzie Milton and uh, no, I don't even know who the backup <laughs> is. Um, but uh, from from uh, J, JRP and and uh, Harvey, yeah. Jordan, uh, just a couple of notes. Jordan McDonald is bigger, 6'1", 220, but he just had 3.9 yards per attempt on or 11 attempts last year. So maybe we'll use him in short yard situations. I did find this as a note. Uh, Harvey had a noticeable two to one zone to gap run ratio, um, mm. which for a little guy, I mean, you'd expect that kind of run zone, get him outside a little bit um, instead of going to the gaps. But everyone else was, was pretty close to one to one. Parker, this no doubt explosive between Harvey and Richardson. Um, I, I have this as a seven out of 10 just because I, I don't see a lot of variety in this backfield. Yeah, I went eight because I like them, but I, I think I'm on the lower side of eight. I'm trying not to do fractional points, but I'd sure. be closer to a seven, seven point nine than an eight. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and if we're talking about like the distribution, but I think that maybe that's just faith in Gus's run game ability, and that's that's where I'm going here. Is I think the run the run unit should be fine, um, and I don't think they need the big bruising body to really um, make that make that happen. Um, I am uh let's let's hit let's hit wide receivers really quickly. I do let's want do to it. correct myself from a second earlier. Um Xavier Williams transferred in from Charlotte, 200 pounds, uh 6'2, clear backup quarterback. Should be pretty okay uh if if JRP gets hurt, but but again, 
he was not the starter at um, Charlotte, and uh, that's that's a little bit concerning. Uh, yeah. But but I think that again in a Gus Malls on offense, a guy can a guy can do a lot. So uh, that goes in the quarterback room. Just wanted to make sure I said that and corrected the record there. All right, wide receivers, really interesting unit. They are going to lose. They did lose um, O'Keefe, uh, who is their number one target. Ryan O'Keefe, ninety five targets, five touchdowns, ten point yard five yards per reception there, um, which leaves a vacuum. Gus mentioned multiple times at, at Big 12 Media Days, Javon Baker, who's in his second year after transferring from Alabama, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, 6'1", 208, kind of the main receiver guy. He had 24.2% target share. He and and uh, O'Keefe were like more than half of the targets last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and Baker, 2.38 yards per route run. So high, pretty, pretty okay for productive. 90% out wide. So he's going to be out wide, but he's going to move around on both sides of the uh, of the uh, you know field and boundary. 4.2, only 4.2 yards per uh, yards after contact. Saying that wrong. Yards after catch. Uh, and a 13.1 average depth of target. So like a profiling really well as wide receiver number one. Um, behind him, another kind of similar body going to slot into that role. So Baker will sleep slot into O'Keefe's role and mm-hmm. into O'Keefe's role. Kobe Hudson should take over. He had 11.8 y- percent target share last year, only 1.93 yards per route run. So we are, we're kind of pushing them, you know, we're saying, Hey, he's going to make a, make a step forward. But I don't, um, in terms of productivity, but, uh, but we haven't seen it yet. He's versatile, 44% slot, 50, 55% out wide. But again, only 3.3 yards after ca- uh, contact, yards after catch. These are uh, receivers. And a 15.8 average depth of target. So both of those dudes are dudes that can go downfield and get the ball. Um, I don't know if not having any yards after contact is catch. going to be uh, yes, yards after catch. Sorry, <laughs> I need to put a dollar in the jar every time I do that. <laughs> I don't know if the yards after catch is enough uh, there to to make me excited about the explosiveness, but they have two solid options. And then Xavier Townsend's kind of a gadget guy, 5'11", 180. And he's, again, good good mix of slot and out wide, about 50-50, but only 1.51 yards per route run again. So we're looking at depth. We're looking at guys that didn't get a lot of play last year who are going to have to take an expanded role. Lastly, I wanted to point out the tight end who – uh, Grant, I don't know if you could tell on the website, he was Max and wants to be Alec now, or he was Alec and is going by Max now. There's some kind of name that. change with this gentleman. Uh, Holler is his last name regardless. and um, Which is cool. Uh, yeah, I, that's great. Yeah, and uh, not a huge tight end, 6'3", 230, but only had 7.6 target share, was half and half blocking and receiving. But again, only 1.03 yards per route run, 8 per uh 8.0 average depth of target i think that the tight end the issue with the tight end is that he's competing with john reese plumley for bailout options so he's not getting a lot of underneath he's not getting a lot of trailing and doing that because jrp is running and so as much sure. as i like the concept of him and, and some of the upside he's shown i don't know how involved he's going to be I, I would um, like him to take a to yeah. take a step forward, um, but I, I think he's going to be a really good bailout option for Plumlee. I, I hope that's something that Malzahn and and uh, Henshaw focus on more this year. Um, I, that's kind of the safety blanket I was talking about. And if they can get him involved yeah. and tell Plumlee to do ten percent less, this this is a, a really good option. They go the and that that's the patient, right? It's like hey, yep. you know, it's it is be a little patient. Take a bet, take a beat. Look, you can get six yards rushing. That's great. What if you got 12 throwing it underneath to the tight end as the play develops? Right. So we'll see how he evolves as 
as uh, Palm Lee of all is kind of doing that. Um, I have this unit as a seven out of 10 grant De- depth oh, wow. is the, 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 the top two Baker and Hudson, I think is fine. I think, I think other big 12 teams would be excited to have either of those guys and especially both of them. It just gets deep or it just gets thin behind it. There's a lot of unproven guys and there's athletes on the roster. Uh, it's just not obvious to me who's going to stand out. And, uh, and so I I'm rating this as a seven. Okay. I am too. I, I, I like you said, depth is the issue, but I like the front line a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not a bad unit, just a thin unit. And again, everything I'm doing with UCF and I'm sure it's the same for you. I'm just adjusting for a jump up in yep. competition. Yep. Um, and that's just, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line really quickly. Grant, a, a really good unit last year. I was just pulling through some random stats earlier today and um, and pulled one. Uh, UCF led the Power Five teams, and so including them, you know, the new Big 12 teams in this. UCF led the Power Five teams in percent of designed rushes with a blown blocking assignment. So they were the yeah. fewest. And so really good execution, really experienced offensive line. Grant, the problem with that, of course, is that they only return two of five starters here. Uh, Lokai, Loki, Paolo will be the um, anchor. Lokahi, maybe, uh, will be the anchor. Um, He, uh, again, in the Gus Malls on offense, you're going to see a frontside guard pull a lot, and he will be that guy. Um, uh, Tylen Grable at at, at tackle was was pretty okay. Polly had a... uh, Paulo, excuse me, had a 90.2 pass blocking grade. Grable had a 77.9. Um, they're going to have three transfers coming in. They've got a lot of holes to fill, but drop down linemen. Look, you got a Stanford guy. That's kind of a, that's, it's a little bit of drop down. Not really, but you got a Bama guy. I think um, they're going to have to replace three, three guys on the offensive line. Makes me a little bit nervous here uh, in, in terms of plugging in. Uh, Grant, I get the sense this offensive line unit could be pretty good at the end of the season, but it's going to take some time to get there. I got you. So I had them originally as a 10. I, I think I'm, I'm going almost by end of the season. I have them as an 11 just because I really like uh, Palo and Grable. And I think those transfers are going to do well. And they get a one point Gus bump for me straight up. And and he's talked yeah. heavily about how much he likes this line. So I, I trust him in that. I think there's absolutely signal in, uh, in Gus liking, a, liking an offensive line. You um, have them, where'd you have them at? I have them a, at a, I have them at a nine. And so, no, uh, uh, no, I have them at a 10, excuse me. Um, I think that there's probably a miss point, misplaced point for me that I gave the running back room an eight where you had them a seven and an O-line a 10 where you have them an 11. Okay. But the, it's all going to come out in the wash. That's fine. Yeah, but I, I, I do yeah. think that I'm, I think I'm just a little bit, I was like, yeah, maybe that could go either way. That point could go yeah. either, either way for me. Switching um, sides, Parker. Yeah. Well, first, Let's actually, talk about say, so yeah, uh, our overall ranking, Parker, you have the offense at a 36. I have them as a 37, which I didn't expect to have that high. Ooh. I keep talking myself into Spicy. this offense the more I read about them. Uh, switching sides, yep. defense, uh, the new coordinator, Addison Williams. Uh, so new coordinators on both sides of the ball. The Williams is his third year on staff, first as a DC. Uh, he comes from the Gus tree a little bit. He was the analyst for one year under Gus at Auburn. Uh, they was a corner at South Carolina from 2007 to 2009 that had some uh, injury and uh, issues. The place is Travis Williams, who took over your Arkansas Razorback defensive coordinator job. Uh, Malzahn at Media Days. Our focus has been putting pressure on the quarterback. And, of course, this league is one of the best offensive leagues, if not the best offensive league. You will see some changes. You'll see some unique pressures. But the bottom line, to have a chance to be a great defense, you've got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback rushing four. 
So that's clearly the central tenet of the defense is can you get a four-man rush home? Grant, I would not be telling my opponents that I was not going to blitz unless this is like a ruse where you're saying, Stop. guys, we're only rushing floor four. We're not going to blitz at all. <laughs> and <then> they're going <laughs> to, um, they're going to in fact blitz, but yeah. yeah. Tell me about, okay. Tell me about the basics of the defense we're going to yeah. see uh, on the field. So, so they'll kind of switch it up in the front as Malzahn noted. Um, I, uh, last year there were a three, four, um, with a noticeable edge. So that kind of hanging linebacker edge rusher over the, uh, over the tackle, uh, but they will go two, four, five with two edges on occasion. Most obviously during passing downs, you saw us a lot against Duke in the bowl game when, you know, if it was second and eight, you know, third and seven, whatever, they'll go ahead and go two, four, five, just to give it a little bit more um, speed coming off the edges. Uh, they're too high mostly, but they'll co- like run that kind of cover one robber scheme a little bit where it kind of shifts to one high and one medium high, you know, in the play on Madden, uh, if you played Madden. Um, and the strength is definitely on the defensive line with a lot of returning production. Um, this is a unit that is built to get pressure up front. Um, and so it's good that that's Gus's idea because this is kind of the strength of the defense. Um, so key questions are who's going to step up beside Jason Johnson at linebacker. Can the defensive line go from good to great? And did they fill enough of the back five through the portal? Um, so let's run through losses and, and, um, entries real quick. A lot of really kind of noticeable losses. You lose Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste at linebacker to Ole Miss. Uh, Devontae Brown at corner, transferred to Miami. That's a big loss. Another corner, Justin Hodges. And then three safeties, Devon Wilson, Kobe Perry, and uh, Kodrick Ware. Uh, but to bring in Ryan Davis from linebacker uh, from Georgia, the three-star. Uh, two three-star corners, DeCoy and Patterson from Middle Tennessee State, and Fred Davis second from Clemson. And two safeties, uh, uh, Jaira Wilson from East Carolina and DeJordan Mask from Texas state at safety, the big get this just happened late June, Derek LeBlanc at defensive uh, tackle from Oklahoma. Um, he's a freshman. Uh, he, he registered last year at Oklahoma, but, but this is a guy that can freaking play, man. He's, he's going to be a, a part of this defensive line rotation. Yeah. And, uh, and Grant, just kind of putting big picture stuff on top of the sprinkling. And as we go, uh, one big step for me for UCF this fall uh, at the end of this fall is that they're not losing their best players in the portal. Um, especially on defense. I know on the offensive side, it's easier for Gus to retool and it's easier for him to keep his guys, but saying like, Hey, we're not a stepping stone program anymore. I think that'll be interesting to see if they can kind of claim their territory there. They are bringing in a lot of guys. I really like, um, some of these guys that they've, that they've got in there, but again, turnover is turnover, right? And there's going to take some time to gel, especially with the new coordinator. And, uh, there are worse plans than getting, you know, some of the best defenders from all over the country and, and just kind of getting in the, uh, <laughs> and say like, Hey, let's fill those holes. But, uh, but it is going to take some time to gel, I think. Yeah. Well, the one unit that I, I don't think will take time to gel is the defensive line because they returned three of their best players from last year, Josh Seliscar at the end. Uh, Ricky Barber uh, in the middle, and then Tremont Morris Brash, which is an awesome name at the other edge. Malzahn's super high on these guys. Um, quoting again from Media Days, he really feels like Ricky Barber has a chance to be one of the premier defensive tackles in the entire country. Then defensive end, Josh Seliscar, that has also started. This was his fourth year starting, one of the team captains last year, and does a super job as far as the leadership is concerned. This is, again, according to Malzahn. Uh, Morris Brash, I call him TMMB, had five sacks last year. Uh, Barber had three sacks and 36 total pressures from an inside position. That's most on the team. So he's a wrecking ball up front. Yeah. This is a really, really solid unit. I think people will be surprised by how much they generate with that front four. Um, and they better, as we'll talk about. They, they better. There's not a lot behind them. Yeah. Uh, I, I legitimately think, Grant, this is a this is a power five unit uh, yes, up here. Um, here's my question before we give our rankings. We don't have to dwell on this long. 
Texas Tech's defensive line or UCF's defensive line? Who I have that? them rated the same. Um, if you well, no, do I? Yeah, I have. I, I have. Uh, I have UCF rated one point ahead. I'm gonna take UCF. Ooh, interesting. Okay, I have them rated the same. I gave. I gave both of them an eleven, um, which is tied with Iowa State for second behind Baylor. Yeah, I gave Baylor and UCF both a twelve. So interesting. Okay. There's some um, good defensive line. There's going to be good defensive yeah, line man. play in the Big 12 there this is. year. I'm excited about that. It's going to be really fun. Parker, tell me about the linebackers. Linebackers. Hey, man, Jason Johnson. He's that dude. Uh, he they is. got a lot of leeway with these defensive line. And uh, whether it's a 4-2 or 4-3, I think there's some questions there as to who can be the swing guy. Um, uh, and kind of maybe that's more of a safety question. Uh, you have Yates, who's experienced. You know, he's, uh, his fifth year, he's 35 tackles is in about a third of a role as a linebacker. Um, and so I think it'll be nice to plug in in certain situations and have him there. Uh, Jason Johnson had more than twice as many tackles as Jean Baptiste, who is the the second guy there. So hyper productive guy, absolute anchor of the defense, uh, but very big question marks there. Name I'm intrigued by Ryan Davis, Georgia transfer, drop down again. There's some signal and a guy moving down uh, makes me a little nervous, but. The scouting report on him is, quote, well put together, end quote. Uh, he can be really versatile. He was a four-star recruit and legitimately played and played well at Georgia last year, 79.8 tackling grade. But Grant, again, worried about the swing guy because if these linebackers get stressed in coverage with a weak defensive backfield, which I don't want to get too far in that preview, but I think it's fair to say the defensive backfield is yes. a little bit weak. Um, Davis only had a 49.7 coverage grade. So like the cavalry is not coming from linebackers. If they get put in conflict positions, which you're going to in the flyover defense, uh, you're, you're going to have to play defense, uh, both rushing and passing at the linebacker position. He might be a little limited. Uh, this, this unit is, is not the weakest on the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the defensive backfield is a little bit weaker, but I think the upside on the linebackers are a little bit lower. I'm actually going to go six here. I went six. Yeah, I went six as well. Um, Johnson really is like that guy, but I I just, the depth, it's a lot like wide receivers. The depth just really concerns me here. Um, Well, and and, and if the depth is so thin, like I could just go point at Johnson and be like, all right, we're just going to read him and make someone else tackle us. Right. Like, yeah, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not really freaking out about Yates and coverage. Um, and yeah, so let's get to the, the kind of the thorny spot here, the defensive backfield. So a lot's gone. Um, we mentioned again at the top, they lost one, two, three, four, five guys that all played last year in the transfer portal order graduation. Um, so you return cornerbacks, Corey Thornton and Brandon Hodges. They're fine. Thornton actually 48.5 completion percent, uh, percentage against, which is, which is pretty good, um, for a cornerback, especially at a pass happy conference like the AAC, but not a lot of death behind them. The transfers may help. We mentioned them earlier, but safety is a complete reset. You're probably going to have uh, Jarvis Ware fill a starting role. Um, he was a rotation guy last year, 172 snaps, uh, 35.7 completion percentage against, three pass breakups, no TDs. So there's some skill there. And then rely on either Wilson or Masks to fill the other spot. Wilson started at East Carolina last year and allowed a 76.9 completion percentage against him. But he did have three picks. Uh, mask at Texas state wasn't much better. 60.9% completion percentage against three interceptions, three pass breakups, call it a toss up, but not really a toss up. You want to have to, to face, um, what, uh, yeah, go ahead. What what are the odds that, uh, that mask gets an interception and the bounce house plays mask off by future. Can we get like uh, odds for that this fall? Cause I think it's going to be high. I think it's going to be very high. Uh, yeah. 
The safeties give me an incredible amount of pause. I can't in good conscience trust this pass defense because I see it in action, and death is basically like non-existent. So uh, five out of ten. I okay, I'm oscillating, I'm flipping, I'm being a flip-flopper, I'm going seven, I'm sticking with seven, I'm back Whoa. and forth. I think that the pass rush is gonna be good enough to take the burden off of these guys. I don't think here it's like a weird mix for me of there's a lot of talent. And there's a lot of turnover. Um, and so, I, I, yeah, I'm oscillating. I had it knocked down to a six. I have them back at a seven. I can't make up my mind. I think I'm going to trust the pass rush and say that they're they're going to be a seven. Okay. Um, that puts them just ahead of Baylor, who, like, everybody left. And uh, guys are mm-hmm. still leaving. And BYU. I was like, they're not as bad as BYU secondary, I don't think. I don't think they're going to be that bad. So I had to put them okay. up a little bit higher, uh, which brings me to a 24 for defense overall. Okay, I have him as a 23 on defense. So adding it up, coaching and special teams, um, I, listen, it's no secret, I love Gus Malzahn. Um, you return production for kicking and punting last year. I have coaching and special teams unit as a 12. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm at 12 as well for special teams there. That puts him on par with, McGuire on par with uh, Dykes and their uh, staff and just behind Aranda. So I feel good about that. Yeah. I have him one spot behind Aranda uh, and solo solo second. I've given like four coaches and 11 so far this preview. So overall rating, uh, do we, do we have a tie? We do. We both have them at a 72. Oh, we agree. Have we agreed on any of these? No, our ratings are very different. This is the first time we've agreed at all. Yep. So I have Um, them at second in the conference so far. Um, I don't like that, but that's where I have them tied with TCU uh, behind Baylor. Yeah, that one point in the defensive backfield is really biting me in the ass here because <laughs> I do have them one point above TCU uh, behind Texas Tech, behind Baylor, who oh, oh, I have Baylor as number one of the conference right now. We're going to have to so, talk uh, about that. Um, I do feel like that UCF is kind of the anti-Iowa State in that Iowa State's offense is muddled and their defense is I expect to be solid despite turnover mm-hmm. where I'm going to say that UCF's defense is muddled, but their offense, I expect to be solid despite turnover. So uh, just kind of nice to see these profiles again. I love that we're doing the numbers. I think this is a great exercise. Uh, Grant, what does a 72 give us? For, so we have the same probability of winning against an average team would be a 70.1 and the probability of making a bowl 96.2. Their season win total is 7.5. I think a lot of people are looking at the over there. I 100% agree. God, I forgot how low I rated Iowa State. I'm at a 59. That is abysmal. Okay, let's do a little schedule preview, Parker. Yeah, and then we'll uh, let's out. let's look at it. All right, so home for Kent State. That should be a win. Uh, yeah, the Sean Lewis less uh, Kent State and Andrew Souter less uh, Kent State Golden Flashes. Yep, win at Boise. Uh. I, I'm gonna go ahead and say, you know what? I, I think they pull this one out. I'm gonna give them a win. I think I'm gonna say loss here, narrow, very narrow loss. Home for Villanova should be a win. Yep. Uh, at K State, I had that as a loss. Probably a loss for me. Home for Baylor, I had this as a loss. I am gonna give this as a win with home field advantage. I think I said something different for Baylor. In our preview, I don't care. I can change my mind every week. I'm going to go win. Okay. Uh, yes, I am pulling up the Baylor preview just to check. Um, 
And then what's next? We have a bye week. Oh, no, sorry. Kansas. We have at Kansas. Uh, uh, I have this as a win for UCF. Yeah, I got to take it as a win by the number there. And I, and I feel good about that. Again, at Kansas, man, it was fun, guys. It was fun last year, but uh, oof. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But um, we, <laughs> we flipped on Baylor. I had it as a win. You had it as a loss. And now I have it as a – no, no. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. No, that's right. So we're consistent. We're consistent. Yeah. Oh, hot dang. Look at that. Oh, we're so good at this. Okay, then a bye. Then at Oklahoma, I have that as a loss for UCF. Loss. Home for West Virginia. I have that as a win. Probably a win. At Cincinnati? Probably a win. I know we can't project Cincinnati to go 0-9, but... <laughs> Not so far. Uh, home for OK State. I'm going to give that a loss. Okay, I'm calling this... I'm going to call this a... Uh, win just because I called Boise a loss and I'm kind of going halvesies there. So I think they'll, I think they'll split those two and I'm not sure in what direction. Okay. At tech, I have that as a loss. Yeah, it's probably a loss there. Home for Houston. I have as a win. They should be Houston at home. Yep. I'm going to go win. One, two, three, four, five, six, I have at seven and five. Six, seven. And I've got eight. Okay. Um, if I were a betting man, I would bet the over. I think I probably have a couple. Half I think I would take the over. Yeah. 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 You know, you do partial probability and add them up. I think we're, I think we're firmly on the UCF over. Yes. hundred percent. Bet that if you can. Okay. Uh, Parker, the last thing we have to do is the randomizer. See who we do next week. Yeah. Or next episode. Yeah. Cause I'm betting we're probably going to have to do two this week or we'll find a way to do it. Whatever. All right. Yeah. Let's randomize. Three, two, one. Oklahoma State Cowboys. Oh, I got excited that it was going to be Oklahoma, but I like Oklahoma State too. Um, They're going to be interesting. Yeah. They're going to be very interesting. Parker, this has been the Purple Theory Podcast. My name is Grant McGallard. You can find me on Twitter at Grant McGallard. It's spelled like it sounds with all those vowels. He is Parker Fleming. He is at Stats of War on Twitter. He's pumping out graphs right now on Twitter, so please go follow him. He's also doing a bunch of cool shit with Sumer Sports. Uh, make sure to follow them on YouTube, everywhere you can, on Twitter. Follow Eric, follow everybody from them. We will be back uh, at a time to be named later to preview the Oklahoma State Cowboys. But until then, stay safe and adios.